Hi, I'm Sherry Davis, Canada's Dogmaster and the trainer of Rex on the hit TV series Hudson and Rex. This is How to Dog. Each episode, someone like you calls in with a canine question. This week, we're looking at food and nutrition. So grab a bowl and come on in. Hi, my name is Jacqueline Mackey. I would like to know why my dog turns his nose up at his good kibble with human meat added and goes outside and eats raccoon poo or weeds. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, Jacqueline, I think you've come to the right place. You might say that some dogs have some downright bad habits when it comes to eating. And I think most of us have watched our dogs eat something, well, that we just rather they would have avoided. My dogs, I think, have ate just about everything, but I have one special dog named Red, and Red just loves to eat her blankets and her tennis balls and her rope toys. And, well, let me tell you, that cost me a whole lot of money because it caused a blockage. And when we opened her up, we had a half a tennis ball, a half a rope toy, and probably a quarter of her blankie um, sitting in her intestines. So, you know, I know all about dogs eating stuff that is not very healthy for them. Anyway, we've assembled a crack team of canine experts to talk about dogs, food, and what's best for our pooches. Yummy, yummy. Let's get into the kitchen. This is How to Dog. Hi, everyone. This tasty podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be professional advice or a source of essential vitamins. Always consult with an expert when taking care of your own doggo. Over to you, Sherry. First up, I'm going to bring back a previous guest, Dr. Faith Banks, who is a veterinarian specializing in home care for aging dogs. As it turns out, what we feed our younger dogs can actually have an effect on how healthy they are as they age. Dr. Faith expressed her thoughts with me about food, and we've decided we would share them here with you. Do you think that um, the food has any play in, in arthritis in dogs? Like, And the reason I'm asking you this is because I'm going back to overweight dogs. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's so funny because I was just out a couple weeks ago looking at a dog food, and it was supposed to be um, low fat. And, and when I turned it over, it had, uh, 43% protein and it had 37% fat listed on the bag. And I thought, I don't understand how this works <laughs> because right. when, when I went to the regular adult formula, it had a 27% protein and 14% fat. Hmm. The thing about dog foods is I think anybody can kind of make their own dog food. Okay. Right? Right. That's yes. the problem. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that it's gone through the testing. Uh, and I know there's a certification that dog foods should go through to tell us that it's properly formulated for the specific group that it's formulated for. But anybody can really make their own dog food. You know, I think one of the problems just to answer the question, which was, do I think the dog foods are kind of making everybody fat? Um, I, I don't think they are. But part of the issue is you feed your dog dog food. Well, then you give your dog treats. Well, then you let them lick your food, you know, the plate before it goes into the dishwasher. 
you're laughing. Are, I'm are you laughing because I do do it. <laughs> and so, you know, when people say, but I only give him one cup of food a day. Well, there's all these extras. And then winter comes along and we feed the same way we did in the summertime. But in the summertime, they're swimming and they're hiking with us and they're doing all these activities. And in the winter, you know, they want to lie by the fire. Right. So I don't think that it's the food itself. I think it's, you know, <laughs> it's always the owner. It's the owner that, you know, probably doesn't monitor as uh properly as they should and the quantity right like and the quantity you look on a bag of food and it'll say feed one cup and then i've been with people and they're like that is not enough food i give them one (laughs) cup four times a day and i'm like wow you know it's us it comes down to it's all about us for sure my my bernie's mountain dog is notorious for eating her food really fast and, and and then she just gives somebody a look like, uh, I haven't been fed yet. And so we actually have a chart in our house because there's a few of us that will feed her. And if we don't mark it off, she will get fed twice because she just stands there and kind of looks at you with these little beautiful, sad eyes like, I'm starving over here. And uh, And so she gets fed twice. And my little chihuahua, she does the same at night. She just stands there and I hear her click, 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 clicking near the food bowl. And I know she wants some more food. Well, what do I do? Okay. <laughs> do you know what? Charting is a fantastic idea, though. We should have a chart. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, I think I might just go and hang a chart up at our cookie cupboard because I probably am the worst. I always go, oh, it's only three calories. Here you go. And <laughs> and then I got called out on it and they said three calories. I said, yeah, it's only three calories. And they're like, no, it's three, seven. That's 37. I said, Oh, 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 I missed, I missed the seven. But you know what? Again, with multiple people in the house, it's a good thing because I come in and I don't think the dogs have had a cookie and they're always so happy to see me. I give them a cookie and, you know, that's like giving them a chocolate bar when I walk in the house. So, yeah. (laughs) And then when other people are doing it, it adds up. Yeah. Probably not the wisest thing. Dr. Faith Banks is a veterinarian who does home and palliative care for older dogs and cats that live in Toronto. So to answer Jacqueline's question, one reason a dog will eat raccoon poop or grass or rabbit poop is because they might be lacking chlorophyll in their diet. So dogs can't digest grass, but grass-eating animals, they can digest it, poop it out, and then their poop is chlorophyll-rich. So they're actually getting something out of that poop that they're missing in their diet. So what you should be doing is adding chlorophyll to their water. What Dr. Faith had to say about dog food formula had me thinking, why not just give our dogs the meat that they love? Why does it have to come from a can or even a bag? One of the questions I get asked a lot is whether or not it's appropriate to feed a dog raw meat. I personally feed my dogs cooked meats, fruits, and vegetables, But luckily, I have with me one of the world's most renowned experts on raw food for dogs. Dr. Nick Thompson is the founding president of the Raw Feeding Veterinary Society. He has been a veterinarian in the UK for more than three decades. I want you to help me out here because this is a huge topic. You know, it's a burning question on everybody's mind. There is so much controversy over what to feed your animal. If you go on the high street 
and ask people about what's the best way to eat, for a human being, you're going to get a lot of different opinions. And that is because there's a lot of different ways to feed different dogs. My experience with humans is that everybody has a slightly different take for what suits them best. Some humans don't do it very well. Some humans do it exceptionally well. And I think it's the same with dogs. The difference with dogs is that we have complete control over dogs. And the other difference is that we have been preached at by the, by the kibble manufacturers for the last 60 years. And so our, our perception of nutrition is really, really skewed. You know, up until 10 years ago, if it didn't come in a bag and went clink, clink when it hit the, hit the bowl, we weren't interested because it wasn't so-called scientifically formulated. And we can't, I think, we can't feed our dogs like they were carnivorous cows because that's what kibble is. It's basically just a cereal like we'd feed our cattle with some extra added meat meal, which comes from goodness knows somewhere on the planet. It's leftover meat that's rendered down, dried out, stuck in a container, shipped across the world, and then anonymously put into, into a food. And you, you'll remember the 2007 melamine disaster where dogs were dying left, right, and center. That's what happens when you have anonymous ingredients in anonymous foodstuffs. Dogs have been eating animals, carcasses, horse poo, sheep poo for 45 million years. Who are we to feed them on ultra-processed food? There is a massive disjoin between the logic of keeping us healthy and the logic of keeping our dogs healthy. But like I say, the common person on the street, they totally, totally get it. They realize that dogs eat meat. That's why they've got big canines. That's why they've got a short gut. That's why they've got a very acidic stomach. That's why they enjoy it. Yeah. And the proof of the pudding is... You take a, raw, a, a kibble-fed dog, you give it raw meat for two weeks, you, you see this dog who may have been quite healthy become even more, more energy, sweet breath, good poos, great digestion, interested in food. I had a collie who would only eat, back in the old days, would only eat kibble overnight. She wasn't really into it. I started, started feeding her raw food, <laughs> It disappeared. Everybody thought she was uh, fussy. She wasn't fussy. She just didn't like the ultra-processed food. So can a dog get salmonella poisoning? Yes, they can. They're more okay. likely to get it from, from kibble than they are from raw food, if you look at the incidence. And that's even taking into account that most dogs in Canada are fed kibble, yeah, 80% of dogs in Canada are fed kibble, about 20% of dogs are fed some or all raw food. Even if you take that, that disparity, the incidence of, of infection of salmonella in dogs is much, much higher in kibble-fed dogs. I'm Sherry Davis, and today on How to Dog, we're talking about food. And what's best for our dogs to ensure that they live the happiest, healthiest lives that they can possibly live. Later in the show, I'm going to speak to Tamara Zerner, the owner of Fit Dogs, about food and fitness and how we can stop our dogs from becoming overweight. 
Right now, I'm speaking to Dr. Nick Thompson, who is a British veterinarian who advocates for feeding dogs raw meat. So hold on. Are you saying that you can actually feed raw from from birth? From three weeks of age, feed raw for sure. What happens? What happens in the wild? What happens? What do what do puppies feed on in the wild? Yeah, they're going to be weaned from that. The weaning process is going to start at about three weeks. They're going to get be interested in what mum comes home and regurgitates. Yeah, I'm talking dogs. I'm talking hyenas. I'm talking uh, the the the, the uh, uh, wolves. I'm talking any type of canid in the wild. This is how they do it. They will be interested in what mum brings home. She She's going to fill up on the hunt, come home, regurgitate for the pups from about three weeks. And if the pups don't eat it, she'll eat it. It's a very simple system. So their, their systems can handle raw right from the weaning process. Of course, of course. I mean, because in the wild... For 45 million years, what have they done? <laughs> there's, right. no, there's no kibble out there. At vet school, you get maybe four or five days of nutrition. In, six, in five, six years, you get six days of nutrition. That's it. And so in order to really get a really firm handle on nutrition, you've got to do substantial extra study yeah just like if you're if you're a regular vet and you want to go into dentistry you study dentistry if you want to go into oncology you study oncology if you want to go into gastroenterology you study gastroenterology well surprise surprise nutrition is the same we taught the basics at college but if you want to have any kind of a grasp as a veterinarian i'm sorry you've got to go a little bit further some some vets i talk to they say oh we got an afternoon with hills and that was about it but what they do get they get they get biochemistry so they can understand the digestive processes they get anatomy so they know what the pancreas does they know what the stomach does the the, the gallbladder does okay so they've got all the basics and all i would ask any vets who are listening to this production would be use all that knowledge that you gained at vet school and just apply it and your your common sense and your logic apply it to nutrition is it logical to feed ultra processed food and expect optimal nutrition or is it more logical to feed a species appropriate diet and expect optimal health for me the ideal selection would be if you can get some fish yeah something with fins something with two legs i.e a bird something with four legs and you rotate between those, I think you're in really good shape if you're, if you're looking at that. Dr. Nick Thompson, it has been a pleasure beyond belief. Thank you so very much for being with us today. God bless you, Sherry. Keep up the good work. It's such a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. My, I, I have family in Canada, and I even hitched from PEI to Toronto, and, and the Canadians who picked me up and everybody I came across was absolutely fantastic. So uh, if, if I can help anybody in Canada, it is a great pleasure. Well, thank you, Dr. Nick, and I look forward to our next conversation. Take care of yourselves. Thank you. Dr. Nick Thompson is the founding president of the Raw Feeding Veterinary Society in the UK. What do you think? If you want to hear more or read more about what Dr. Nick has to say, you can visit his website at holisticvet.co.uk. Of course, when it comes to keeping our dogs healthy, food is a huge part of the equation. But getting calories in? 
has to be balanced with putting calories out. And my next guest knows a lot about that. Some of you may know Tamara Zeriner as a world-ranked tennis player. But these days, she's using what she has learned as an elite athlete to help dog owners get their dogs healthy and fit and keep them that way. Tamara runs a program in Toronto called Fit Dogs, where she gives advice on food and exercise. As she puts it on her website, she's been tiring Toronto dogs since 1997. Basically, now what we do is we offer two types of services. We have one area where we take our dogs out. We have about 200 acres of fenced land where we take dogs out into the city, so out of the city, so that they can be in the forest um, running in a group, like with a leader. You know, they're foraging, they're playing, they're doing their thing. We're calling them in, working with them, letting them go. And the other thing that we do is we offer swimming to, um, heavier dogs to aggressive dogs or not social dogs to dogs that need rehab we keep ourselves pretty busy there you go so uh do you go and pick people's dogs up at their house or do yeah. they oh yeah you... so we're we're like a little school bus we have a, a route and we go and we pick up our dogs um a lot of the dogs thankfully we've been doing this since 1997 so now we've kind of figured out how to do it as opposed to in the beginning when we're like, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, now we have like a route and we have, we sort of get the dogs to sit properly in the vans and we get going and then we take them out to where we're going. And how many dogs would you run in a pack? That can vary anywhere from eight to 15. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, people, I you know, I've seen a lot of different cases with <laughs> that when I say that number. <laughs> but like I said, in the beginning, when we started this in 97, I can guarantee you that when we were getting out into the forest, people knew we were coming, you know, because the van was rocking and the dogs were barking and it was just like a big, hi, we're here. <laughs> and we'd open the van and the dogs would jump over our heads and I would just be shaking my head saying, this absolutely cannot be. <laughs> like, we can't do it this way. So at the time, like you have to honestly, like the thing is people have to remember in 1997, there were not even dog parks. That's right. There were not even like people thinking this is a profession. This is anything. At that time, it was like some random kamikaze person taking these dogs out to the forest. <laughs> people thinking, who is that whack? <laughs> Anyways, we, we sort of learned, you know, through some hard and some easy things, uh, getting the dogs in, in sort of a very organized way. Now they have to get out one by one to their name and we're work them under threshold. So it's a, it's a really nice way for the dogs to, to spend their time. So. I mean, the swimming, I mean, I think it, 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 the owners must find a remarkable difference in their dogs because swimming is so therapeutic. Yeah. So not only can you, um, exercise a dog that maybe can't run in, yeah. you know, and in Toronto, really, there's, there is nowhere where you have acres and acres just to go hiking and running a dog off leash. And, you know, but the swimming aspect of it is a phenomenal therapeutic um, yeah. outlet. And so once we opened the pool, the very beginning, there was no, I mean, 
in Toronto, there was, we didn't, nobody even knew how to classify it. There was no such thing as doggy daycares then. We had no, uh, you know, canine physio. We never had any of all those things. So when we opened up, we literally had a lineup around the block of all these people with their old dogs and all of them that had like injuries that they got when they were two and now they're 16, you know, so I don't know what we're going to do now, but anyways, <laughs> it is super therapeutic. They say, you know, we work on the premise that five minutes in the water is like 20 minutes on land. So you're able to be in the pool for short periods of time and get a lot of benefit, you know, whether through fitness or rehab or whatever you're doing there. So personally for me, I have a great swimming pool. And for my older dogs that can't really get around as easy as they used to, I love to take my dogs into the pool. It's weightless exercise. It's great exercise. They love it. They enjoy it. And you want to know what? It helps them keep fit and trim especially with my older dogs or my injured dogs. Water therapy is not only amazing exercise, but it is also great therapy. Now, here's more of my conversation with Tamara. This is How to Dog. So, you know, I've got a study here and it, it's a couple of years old. So I, I'm going to assume that the numbers have gotten Uh, increase. They're not going to decrease. I can tell you that. But it was a survey by the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention, APOP. And they revealed that 56% of dogs are overweight. Yeah. You know, um, so what an opportunity this gives people, especially like if you're living in an apartment or downtown, you're busy, your lifestyle is busy. um, You know, it it gives you an opportunity to exercise them or like, like you say, go, go for a run in the country. How amazing is that? Yeah. It's it's funny. Like the, we, I mean, we do see a fair amount of obese dogs. We we've had situations where we had one about, and I mean, this was one extraordinary one where about 10 years ago, we had a dog that came in that a veterinarian had taken from the client and it was a border collie and it weighed in and around 95 pounds and all of its legs were broken because of the weight. And the poor dog was, um, I mean, I mean, she eventually lost all that weight and became a normal sized dog. No way. Yeah, pretty much. But her legs never recovered. So she was never really able to walk in a, in a, in a, in a comfortable way. You know, we could put harnesses on her, we could do all sorts of things, but um, she was never able to walk. So the swimming, I mean, it was, there was nothing that could have fulfilled what she needed, you know, other than that swimming for her whole entire life, basically. Right. And I mean, I'm not, I don't try to be hard. I, I, I like to run my dogs a little bit light, but it really does start with you, as the owner having to have that boundary of being able to stop giving those treats to those dogs or whatever is going on, the exercise becomes the next, it becomes like an an obstacle as the dog stays in the house more and more and more because you cannot get that dog out to walk. And we've had a lot of people that come in and and at some point they're almost even, I I don't know what to call it. I don't know if it's shame, but they, they feel bad about coming in. 
like they, right. they, they feel like they've waited too long or, you know, they're, it's a, it's a really hard thing to work with. So there, there, there might be hope for obese young dogs to start oh, off yeah. swimming. And then yeah. once you get down to a manageable weight yeah. where they're feeling better, but they could transition if they have the right temperament into the country walks. Sure. They could, but lots of times the two aren't connected in my world. Lots of times the two aren't connected. Like lots of times people will come in with their heavier dogs they're not even close because we were the only pool. So we would be getting people from sometimes 75 kilometers away. Wow. Like a, a, a far distance just so they could start to do something with their dog. Um, but you would want to do that. If, if you had a heavier dog, you're not going to, you want to take it very slow. You want to work with your vet or you want to work with someone who's working with you on helping you, you know, cut the meals down getting them outside for exercise, bringing them out to swim if you can get them out to swim um, and doing all that kind of stuff. And ideally, sure, if they can come to the country, that's awesome. Well, Tamara, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Um, it was a pleasure talking with you today and I wish you all the very best. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure for me too. It was great to talk. Tamara runs a Toronto program called Fit Dogs. You can check it out at fitdogs.ca and take it easy on those dog treats, okay? I've learned so much from Dr. Faith, Dr. Nick, and Tamara. You'd think after training dogs for so long, I'd know everything. But there's always one more thing you can learn. Education is the key to success. And you know what? You can always teach an old dog new tricks. In the meantime, don't forget to give us a good review. And please call us at 1-833-HOW-TO-DOG with your burning canine questions. Just like this one, which we're going to tackle on our next episode. Hi, Uncle Jim again. I have a question for anyone who walks their dog in a rural setting where there are possibly bears. Do you let your dog off the leash while walking in those areas? How to Dog is hosted by Sherry Davis. Produced by Davin Langell and Carrie Hayden. Editing and mixing by Adam Killick. How to Dog is a Shaftesbury podcast and part of the Frequency Podcast Network. You can find more great shows at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com. Copyright 2021, Shaftesbury.